Interested in energetics, intention, alignment, integrity, and ethics? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Sacred Leadership Podcast. This space is for you to gain inspiration, wisdom, and knowledge from exceptional leaders to support you in your leadership journey. I'm your host, Amber Gordon, trained therapist and intention and alignment coach here to ask all the deep questions to get the raw truths. Settle in, take a breath, set your intention for what you're open to receiving from this episode, because it is time to drop in. Hello, listener. Just a quick note before you dive into this next episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast. As you know, we talk a lot in terms of unfiltered truths and raw, honest conversation. As a result, there are some subjects that have a little bit of sensitivity and some content warnings that come along. If you're listening to this and you feel at any point you're uncomfortable or your nervous system feels dysregulated or you're not in a place and space for what it is that you're hearing, it's okay to pause the episode, come back to it at a later time, or maybe never at all. Don't worry. You just need to pay attention and do what feels right for you. If this episode isn't for you, there are plenty of other episodes for you to check out. Thank you for taking good care of yourself, and we appreciate you being here. Getting right back into another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast, I have a very dear friend joining me today, Maddie Hunt. Maddie and I were brought together when we were actually working together, and we formed a very quick friendship um, after sharing a room at a retreat together. We found out that we had a lot in common, and little did we know we would have a lot more in common um, in the years to come. So it is my absolute honor to be able to bring Maddie to share with all of you. For those of you who don't know Maddie, she's the founder of Her, a virtual assistant and online business management agency for female identifying founders. Maddie entered the workforce just as the global pandemic changed the way we work forever. No one was hiring, but she quickly learned that the back-end operations of small businesses play a huge part in a brand's success, and she savored learning how entrepreneurs' brains work. Thus began the start of her agency. Before long, the agency was the busiest it had ever been, and she lost her brother, TJ. She learned overnight that life is too short not to spend time doing what we love. By working with Maddie's agency, her, she hopes to empower and enable as many women as possible to do more of what they love with the people they love, while leaving a lasting impact on the communities that matter most to them. Maddie values honesty, loyalty, and humor, and the ocean will always be her home. At her, they've given woman-identifying business owners over 4,500 hours back into their lives in just three years, and they are just getting started. Probably the most epic bio that we've had. <laughs> Matt, really enjoyed that one. Um, so if you need help writing your bios for when interviewed on podcasts, I think Maddie might know a thing or two. <laughs> Thank you, Amber. So excited to be here. <laughs> uh, just out of, you know, your own lived experience, right from your words, if you could share a little bit just about the the whole behind the scenes of what you alluded to in your bio and kind of how you got started, what that was like for you and where you found yourself today, that would be amazing. Yeah. So I'll start from the very beginning. And that would be myself in college just getting to wrap up my undergraduate degree. So I was studying public health at Westchester University, which is a college in Pennsylvania. 
And I was getting ready to graduate in May. At this time, it was February. I was living in Philly. I was teaching yoga, uh, commuting to school only like one or two days a week. And so really just committing to my yoga practice and teaching and uh, beginning this journey of trying to find full-time work as a newly graduated person. (laughs) And so I started to apply to all sorts of different types of jobs. Um, in the public health world, um, in the yoga world, kind of anything that seemed interesting at the time. And next thing you know, March 2020 rolled around, and we all know what happened March 2020. Uh, the world shut down seemingly overnight. And so any application that I had put out for my very first big girl job <laughs> instantly came back with an email response of, hey, we're no longer hiring um, because of this pandemic. We don't know what's going on. So please reconsider us in the future if this job is even available at that time, right? Because we have to remember a lot of people were also being laid off during this time frame. And so I all of a sudden was in this period of my life in which the city shut down, yoga studio shut down, so I no longer had work. College was shut down. I moved out of Philly back to New Jersey to my parents' house. So I was now living back with my parents and I had no job opportunities. And so I was like, what? in the world is happening as everyone was you know what in the world is happening what direction do I go in and so I had many a conversations uh with both my parents but mostly my dad of just trying to figure out what adulthood meant now that like I couldn't follow the typical linear path that most people would be able to prior to COVID you know it was college job and that's kind of the path (laughs) but I didn't really necessarily have that opportunity at the time so I remember sitting down with my dad in our dining room and he pulled out this big post-it note um, that you see in like meetings. And we just started jotting down everything that I really love to do and everything that I um, am good at doing, right? So what I enjoy and what I'm good at doing. And one of the things that made it on that list was virtual assistant work. Because at the time, I was working a couple hours a month for my dear friend Alana, who owned a business. Uh, just helping her put together some like designs for her business, some basic admin things, just behind the scenes business work that I had never even really did before working with Alana. And so that was just a small asterisk on the post-it note. At the end of our conversation, my dad said, well, why don't you try this virtual assistant thing? You know, it's completely remote, completely online. You don't have to go into work anywhere. And so that's really where I began my journey. I started to reach out to clients cold emailing people saying like, hey, any chance you need a virtual assistant? And um, I was lucky enough to be able to receive my first clients that way and then just grow incrementally over a period of time. We grew very quickly because of the dedication that we have for our clients and the support that we provide them. And so within a few months, I was able to scale just a solo virtual assistant gig into a full-time virtual assistant and OBM agency. And so that's kind of where the business um, came from, (laughs) a long-winded story for how the business began. Now, in my bio, uh, it did mention that my brother TJ had passed away during kind of the midst of that, right? So TJ, which we'll talk about more, passed away in June of 2020. So to go through the time frame again, I started the business of virtual assisting March 2020, Scaled upwardly, bringing on team members between April all the way through June. 
So we scaled upwardly from there. And then June is all of a sudden when my world came crashing down, when my brother died. Um, and we can talk about what that journey looked like. But that is where that uh, event happened in like the period of this entire transition. Yeah. And it, Maddie, you know, and I have formed a friendship and in full transparency, which is one of the things that's really important to me, but also really important um, in what I share with you all on this podcast. Maddie was the person who really helped hold my hand and walk me through um, how to navigate life with sudden loss. Um, both of us lost our loved ones very unexpectedly, very suddenly, um, and in a way that we were completely in the middle of life, in the middle of living, in the middle of everything, and then all of a sudden, like, this huge trauma occurs, this huge tragedy occurs. And for me, there was really, like, no one. I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to still do my job because with the type of work that Maddie does and the type of work that I do, we're very client-facing. So you have to show up and be able to ethically serve and hold space and be in a place where you can do that. And if you're not, you don't get paid. <laughs> like that that's that's really what it comes down to. So really trying to figure out what does that look like? How do I still work? How do I still maintain my integrity and my ethics? Um, but also know that like I'm not okay. And I feel like that's a conversation that we don't really have a lot, whether it is the loss of a loved one or a pet or a miscarriage or any other type of loss that we go through. There's so many of us who are in these very unique positions where we're holding space for other people and our jobs are solely based on our ability to show up and give our own energy. Um had like no resources except for Maddie. And so that was what we really talked about being able to have a conversation around today. And so to be very specific about that, Maddie, you being the one that went first, right? And that's <laughs> a lot of leadership is about going first. And sometimes we pick it and sometimes we don't. You being the one that went first, what did you learn in those initial months after your loss and running a business and being a leader and being someone who holds space and at that point had a small team? Yeah. So what I learned in relation to leadership and business ownership was really the practice of great. Um, I have always been someone that really pushed through for work, whether that be work as in like work for my business or schoolwork or work that you had to do for extracurriculars, you know, growing up, I was always someone that pushed through despite the circumstances, just because that was what well, I thought my innate nature, right? We just continue forward no matter what's going on. I now realize that's more my upbringing than innate nature. But um, so as I was processing the loss of my brother, I came face to face with the reality that trauma brings, which is for me, memory loss, um, I right after my brother had passed, it happened in such a traumatic way that I actually wasn't able to remember like short term um, experiences. So I wasn't able to remember conversations I was having with people. I wasn't able to remember uh, experiences I was having with different communities. And so that was a big part of my journey. Uh, another piece as well was just like energy loss. I was extremely exhausted all the time. 
Uh, my energy levels were to the floor. And then lastly was just like spontaneous bursts of extreme sadness, you know, which comes with loss as well. And so all of those different items really forced me into this period of needing to take a step back from my business, which in hindsight, I can be grateful for because if it weren't for those physical symptoms, um, I don't think I would have given myself a break. So to kind of move forward from there, I said that something I learned was to have grace. At first, it was forced. And through taking that break, I was able to learn how to be gentle with myself um, amongst a very or amidst a very difficult period in my life. Um, I was able to learn how to find purpose outside of the work that I do and find meaning outside of the work that I do. Uh, because for the first time in my young adult life, I was actually needing to find who I was as an individual outside of what I contributed in the world. I couldn't contribute a lot at that time um, in a way that we kind of define as a society right through work. And so I had to figure out how can I still love who I am and have grace for who I am despite losing this big sense of my identity. Um, those would be, I think that would be like the biggest thing that I learned. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's really interesting because the after effects are different for everyone. Um, I actually went into a period of like hyper productivity was interesting. my response. Um, I was in a position where I've always been the one in my family to, you know, get get things done, bring people together, um, smooth things over, help make sure everybody's okay. I think it is a big part of my personality. And again, a big part of what I was just kind of innately taught um, in my upbringing. And I also had the experience of having gone through really severe chronic illness. And so I knew how to deal with crisis in a sense. And I knew how to like push through. Um, and I also felt this sense of responsibility in terms of everyone had done so much to take care of me when I was really sick. And now I got a chance to take care of other people. Um, for me in my situation, you know, you lost a sibling, I, I lost a parent. And so it was kind of taking care of my other parent, my remaining parent. Um, and, you know, we can totally have a whole <laughs> separate conversation about what's healthy, what's unhealthy. But like when you're in the thick of it, when you are grieving, when you are in that shock um, afterwards, it, it really manifests differently for each person. And you were actually the person that was like, hey, like, are you okay? Like, are like really, truly, are you okay? How are you doing? Like, how many clients are you seeing? Do you feel like okay to see these clients? And it was actually hard for me to limit myself in a way because when I was working with my clients, that's when I actually felt good um, because I was able to be there and really be worried about somebody else um, and really focus on what was going on for somebody else's life. And I was not tapped into what I was dealing with during that time because as a coach, as a therapist, like that wasn't my space. It was about the other person. So I got to take a break. Um, but energetically, we're still holding space for people. We still have to make sure that we have the emotional reserves um, to do that ethically. 
And you were the person that really helped me have that conversation with myself. So I think maladaptively, I could have probably seen six clients a day and been like, yeah, this is great. Um, But I limited myself to maybe two, sometimes three at the most. Um, And that was even just a couple days a week, which it was hard. It was also hard for me to slow down um, because that same question of like, if I'm not working, if I'm not doing the thing that I do, who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the second time in my life I had really been faced with that because going through uh, chronic illness, I wasn't able to be functional or really have utility in that way either. And then I was like, whoa, here we are again. <laughs> same, same lesson. Same lesson coming on back. Like, it is so interesting um, how those those things happen for us. And I think being able to just kind of find your way back to slowly reintegrating that's in a journey that I'm just now fully facing um, going into year two but like you and I had said um, when we spoke earlier this week you're a little bit ahead of me so how has reintegration been for you yeah great question before I dive into that I want to be honest too because like you read in my bio that's something I value I, although I took time off at some point, my very first reaction was just like yours, Amber. Um, oh, I wow. was I hyper know. productive in the sense of like, I had my pot hands in all the pots when it came to the funeral planning process, was writing the obituary, designing like the little handout that you give to people. So like was on overdrive there. And then from that kind of crashed. And I think came back to work a little bit too quickly. So although I did take a few weeks like maybe a week and a half, two weeks off, I came back to work really quickly. And it's through that whole experience of having mm. to be back quickly um, that I was able to provide some insight to you during your experience. Be like, are you sure like you're, <laughs> you want to do that um, in like a loving way? But I'm glad that it was helpful for you. So I did want to just be honest in that experience. Um, how has reintegration been? It has been different with each and every year, which I know we had talked about a little bit. So in this phase of my life, it is integrating into year three. So I've been through year one. I've been through year two, both of which bring their unique set of uh, challenges and lessons. Year three has been um, gentler, I would say. Um, Year three for me so far has also been more miscellaneous and random in the ways that I experience the grief. Um, year one was consistent. Uh, year two was consistent and heavy. And now I feel a little bit more spaciousness between uh, when grief decides to rear its ugly head. And so what that specifically looks like for me is that more days than not, I don't think about the trauma anymore. More days than not, or more weeks than not, I'm not thinking about TJ every single day. You know, uh, it's usually every few days. So there's more spaciousness there, um, which has helped a little bit too. <laughs> uh, and then there's more space between when I actually do need to take some time aside to feel the heavy emotions that come with loss. And so uh, now I mostly just will have flashbacks to certain positive or negative memories, positive memories being memories made with my brother while he was still here, negative memories being ones that had happened after we learned that he had passed. 
uh, and they just pop up based off of triggers that are happening in my life now. And so I think what I have been learning in year three is how to go about life and allow myself the space to be with my emotions when these triggers pop up and these random memories uh, flood into my consciousness and trigger a positive or negative response. Um, whereas before I was really just living in a state of survival day in and day out. So I didn't have to like regulate based off of the week or the day because it was just a steady state of like, we just got to get through, <laughs> you know, now it's like, okay, maybe this week we'll have um, just like a negative flashback or maybe this week we'll go into a really happy flashback, but it brings me sadness because he's no longer here. So I'm learning how to just navigate that with less warning because again, it's not happening every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that you and I spoke about is the fact that there is this weird expectation of only getting a year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that is something that, um, unfortunately we as a society have done a really poor job of knowing how to, I'll say, quote unquote, manage people with grief, because I would say that's how our society like um, kind of views it, right? We have to manage these people. We have to learn how to handle them because they have these emotions that remind of us, uh, remind us of our own mortality. And none of us want to look at our own mortality because as a, again, as a culture, we're not looking at our own deaths. None of us think that we're going to die tomorrow, right? And so I think in year one, um, Folks, oftentimes, I won't say this is always the case, this depends on um, your community, but folks often receive a lot of support and guidance on how to navigate their grief. And then after year one, it it I sense this feeling of, when are you going to get over it? You know? And mm-hmm. so there wasn't a lot, when I was looking around, there wasn't a lot of education on how to go about living your life in year two when society kind of expects you to be back to normal again, when you feel the exact opposite of normal. You feel as though you've been left behind. You feel as though you've been kicked out of the tribe because at least for me, year two was the was worse than year one, but now I didn't have the support. And so um, I think what we can do better as a society and hopefully what we can bring to light in this conversation is like how can we actually support the people that we love um after they've lost someone or something that meant the world to them beyond just what the typical societal um timeline is you know how can we still show up for the people we love in the way that they need um year two year three year four year 20 you know Mm -hmm. yeah because it really it really doesn't go away. Um, no. The the whole time heals thing. <laughs> we've talked about this where it's like time changes, time shifts. You learn different ways to live around this thing. It's not like the thing itself gets any smaller. You just find ways to live with and around it. And... I I do feel grateful that I have you to have these conversations with because year two has definitely were, you know, just basically a, a month and a half into year two for me. And it has definitely been the harder um, of my experience so far. 
much to your point, year one was a lot of survival and survival protects you in a weird way from the depth of your emotions. It really numbs you a little bit and you're so focused on just getting from one day to the next um, that there's not much room for much else. And then year two, it's kind of this expectation to start living again, Mm -hmm. except now you're living without this person who was big part of your your whole life um and i think for me that's been the weird thing where i feel this pressure between okay like that happened last year so like let's you know move forward with all the stuff that you're doing in your business and all the stuff that you're you know doing in your life and actually really having the gravity of reality set in um, just the past couple weeks, I find that I get through my weeks okay, and then I'm pretty much in a ball crying Friday night into Saturday morning, like every single week. Um, and I'm realizing like, okay, so this is all like bits and pieces that I save up mm-hmm. during the week, um, and then it comes out when I have space. And so to talk a little bit more about what you were going into about making space, what does that look like for you? now having had this as part of your lived experience for a little bit longer than I have? (laughs) Um, So I would say making space right now is really trying to pursue things that bring meaning and joy into my life in a way that doesn't feel um, overwhelming. So I feel as though now my energy levels are just now getting back to kind of normal. And so I have more energy to actually go out and like be in community with people. Whereas year one and year two, I really just didn't even have it in me to be out with a group of friends for an elongated period of time. And so uh, funny enough, making space actually looks like carving out periods of time in my schedule to do more that I love as long as it feels right in my body and in my heart. And so, uh, I know something that we had talked a little bit about is that I have struggled since losing my brother with balancing. I really want to do all these amazing things in my life that bring me joy while still at the same time, not like having that uh, drive supersede everything else in my life. And so a beautiful term that you put to it was like existential tread almost is like now that I know that someone close to me died on a whim it has highlighted to me my mortality more so than ever and so every day I feel as though I have to treat like my last day like I too could die at the end of today and if that were the case would I be happy with how I've spent my life today. And so that brings a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. And so I think when I'm creating space to go do things that bring me joy, um, when I check in with my heart and my body and like actually do so from a grounded place, that feels spacious. Whereas when I'm trying to fill up my schedule with um, things that bring me quote unquote joy, but it's coming from this place that's driven by stress, pressure, and anxiety from this existential dread, um, it's counterintuitive to spaciousness. Mm, yeah. And it was um, 
it was existential perfectionism. Perfectionism, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the word that we talked about because um, Thank you. When, when Maddie and I, I was like, existential trend is a thing, uh, but I didn't make up that term for no. that at all. Um, when Maddie and I were kind of having a check-in with each other uh, earlier this week, I shared with Maddie that the thing that's really been keeping me up at night um, yes, you know, there's grief and sadness. And, you know, I find myself thinking about my dad a lot and not wanting to forget him. Um, so I try really hard to remember him. And obviously, the more I put into remembering the details of him, the more sad I feel like I am because I know that I'm never going to, you know, experience his hugs or hear his laugh. Um, and so that's part of it. And the other part of it is this... <laughs> we're going to coin it like existential perfectionism <laughs> where there is this pressure where like for me in my story, my dad lived a very normal day. Um, like I was staying with my parents at the time that my dad died and I heard him come up and he got ready for bed and he did all of his normal stuff and he went to sleep and he didn't wake up like that is what happened. He had walked the dogs. He had made spaghetti and meatballs for dinner. <laughs> like he, oh my gosh, I miss my dad's spaghetti and meatballs so much. He's so good at spaghetti and meatballs. His meatballs are the best. But <laughs> chef's kiss. Right. Like, <laughs> but it was like a normal, regular day. And we actually had plans like that next day to do things. I, I was tired and I didn't go and say goodnight to him because I was tired and I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll see him tomorrow. I'll spend time with him tomorrow. And then he didn't wake up. And now as a result of that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I could I could not wake up or something could happen to me or something could happen to the people that I love. And yes, like this is a reality that we all live with every day, but we're not aware of because it's not part of our lived experience. And then when it becomes a part of our lived experience, it becomes so real to us. It becomes this thing that for me and for you, I'm sure other people can relate to this. It becomes really hard not to fixate on the fact that like we're, we're operating on borrowed time. We're yeah. operating in, in this very limited capacity. Yeah. And so I'm now like not thinking like, oh, I have a hundred years to like get all this stuff down. Now I'm thinking like, okay, like I want to get tattoos. I need to have gotten these tattoos yesterday because if I'm laying in a coffin, like I wouldn't want those tattoos on my body. I need to like create my legacy. I have to get this this damn podcast going. Like <laughs> all of these things that I'm now like do it, do it, do it. But then I'm over extending myself and I'm not creating space for me to really be present and really be in the grief that's coming with year two, which is resulting in a lack of sleep in the evenings, which makes everything so much harder and not much more emotional. Yeah. And you were saying that you can definitely relate. Yeah, definitely. I think that, so for me, I, I didn't know this was not normal, but we ha have had a conversation about this. Ever since I was little, I just like, thought and knew not in like a way that would freak me out but just like my body was like yep that's it like I was gonna die young like just like knew it for sure that my life was gonna be shorter than most people and so growing up like even all the way through until TJ died I was I would never say that I was like scared of death or like never would say that I was ruled or my life was ruled by that idea of death but just like had this 
sense of knowing and peace surrounding that knowing that like my time is limited here. So I've always had this sense of like trying to be more purposeful and intentional with my time. But it was in a way that was more level because again, it was like this inner knowing that brought me kind of peace, as weird as that sounds. And then TJ died. (laughs) And uh, you've even said this to me before, like maybe that message wasn't for me. It was for him. Like I was not the one to go early. It was him. Potentially no one knows the plan. But this used to be steady, like feeling of, okay, like my time is ending. Let's be intentional like skyrocketed into let's make the most of every single freaking minute. Um, And so with that comes burnout. And that only exasperates uh, the grief too, like you were saying. So when you're exhausted mentally, physically and emotionally, one day it circles back around and kicks you in the butt worse the next day when grief comes knocking on the door. Uh, And that was definitely my experience, like, every single day year two (laughs) and year three it has shown up a lot but um through conversations with you and just through like now being used to it a little bit more I'm starting to learn um how not to let that voice in the back of my head saying do more do more do more or like your life is useless um kind of drown out in the background not rule everything that I'm doing and everything that I'm like pouring my energy into Mm -hmm. yeah And I think that's an interesting lesson hearing you say that because I'm sitting here really feeling very faced with the fact that one of my takeaways, if we can call it (laughs) that, um, from losing my dad was that there are things that are more important than work there are things that are more important than making money there are things that are more important than posting content on social media and yes obviously i know these things um and this is something i've only shared with a handful of people because it is a very difficult thing that i'm still processing through but the night that my dad died um my fiance and i were staying with my parents we were there for the holidays um my dad died very early in the morning on uh, New Year's Eve 2021 into 2022. And my dad had made spaghetti and meatballs for dinner. And I had a chance to see a client like literally right at dinner time. I think it was like a six o'clock client. And it was a last minute session and the holidays were coming up. So you know you're not going to be working a lot as a therapist around the holidays. People don't schedule. And I saw an opportunity to make a little bit more money before the dry season of the holidays. And my dad was always so do what you need to do, honey. Like, you know, you make you make go make money. Go go see your client. Like I'll I'll leave something out for you on on the stove. And and he did. But I did not have dinner with my dad. I did not have that last dinner that I could have had with him uh, because I chose to see a client. And do I think that I made the wrong decision? No, I'm not going to beat myself up for it because I didn't know what I know now. But looking back on it, do I wish that I had eaten dinner with my dad? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Um, And I'm forever going to be missing the fact that I could have had that one last dinner with him and I I chose to work instead. And so it's very interesting to me that I'm now faced with this crossroads of feeling like 
I have this pressure to do all of these things, but also simultaneously slow down and be really present. Mm-hmm. And that's been very hard to navigate. It almost feels like it's going to break my little human brain. <laughs> that's, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't all make sense. And I'm trying to make something make sense that I feel like I'm incapable of making sense of. Yeah, like it doesn't compute. I have that same dichotomy going on of like, I want to, like if I could spend time with all of my favorite people all at the same time, because like, I would like love to, like I want to do all the things, but I want to do them intentionally because otherwise what's the point um like I want to be like fully steeped in the conversation I want to be like fully integrated into whatever experience that I'm having because that's where the meaningful moments and memories are made um but our brain doesn't really like compute both at the same time you know it's like so hard to for me at least to hold both and so I had it's interesting to hear different people talk about uh like their grief experiences and their stories surrounding loss because I had a somewhat similar experience to you with your dad and not having dinner with him his last dinner with him the a few days before TJ had died he was living at his first ever apartment on outside of like college in Delaware for the internship that he was at at the time that summer and I was going up to visit some friends at college in Pennsylvania And so I was going to call TJ uh, on my way up to see if I could stop at his apartment on the way back and maybe we could grab dinner. But it was like 30 minutes out of the way. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to see him probably in a couple of weeks anyway. Let me just like push it off and we'll catch up some other time. Well, whatever. I'll see him soon. And literally a few days uh, later, he got in an accident on his uh, internship and I look back at that same exact moment. I'm like kicking myself so hard because I didn't take the time to drive a little bit out of the way to spend time with him. Now, would he have been available to hang out? I don't know. But our brains like constantly wrap us back to those moments and constantly have us reassess all the tiny pieces leading up to the tragedy and the trauma and walking us through like what we could have done different to for a lot of people, it's like, how could I have changed the circumstance so this wouldn't have happened to the person? Or B, how could I have changed my action to be able to have more meaningful, intentional time with this person before they left without me being able to say goodbye or left before I was able to really show them how much I like loved and cared for them? And so I, th- I feel way more at peace about that now. But year one and year two, it was a lot of like me coming to terms with TJ knew how much I loved him. He knew how much I cherished him. He knew how much I appreciated him. And now that I know what it feels like to lose someone without having a formal goodbye and to feel still somewhat in my gut that I didn't wrap things up how I wanted to, right? I didn't get that last moment. I am way more present with the people in my life now I know something that you and I had talked about, something that has happened in my life as a result of the trauma is like I'm hyper fixated on um, goodbyes with people. And so when my partner leaves for work, like I always like close my eyes and remember, try to remember exactly what I said and exactly what I did and always say like, I love you. Same thing like anytime I leave my parents, if they come visit, I always like try to 
hold on to like, okay, I said I love you. I gave him a hug. So that way, way, God forbid anything happened to them, I could at least like rest at the end of the day knowing I like had that good, solid goodbye. And so that has been one trauma response that has come out of it. But I, I think it's important to talk about this and normalize that these thought processes happen because before my conversation with you, no one had been open enough about grief with me. Even like my parents and my brother who went through the like a similar experience as me, they never talked about it. And so I had all of these thoughts and these like habits that I now have as a result of loss that I thought um, were unnormal, <laughs> that I thought um, were wrong, that I thought made me like a person that was like sick and needed help. And there, that's really not the case. It was more so this is a natural response to um, a horrible thing happening. And it's a shared experience amongst lots of people with grief, but not many people um, talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do think that, again, there's this expectation that after year one, you're, you're moving on kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a lot of why people do keep things to themselves that happen year two, year three, year four and beyond, because there's this shame associated with still living in relationship to the grief. But yeah. as we said, you know, earlier in this conversation never goes away. It might shift, it might change, but what it is and the size of it and the weight of it never, ever, ever goes away. And I know that just being a small business owner, being an entrepreneur, I was used to my mind always being active, mm -hmm. um, always thinking about, oh, okay, like, could I make that into content? Like, how could I, <laughs> you know, sell this offer? Um, is there a different way that I can add hashtags to my Psychology Today profile so that I can get better SEO and get more clients? Like, always, always, always having my brain just being preoccupied because that was part of my chosen profession um, in terms of being responsible for my own income. So I was, I was kind of used to that. And now I have this other thing running in the background that takes up a lot of energy and a lot of space and a lot of emotion. And I'm really realizing that I need to be able to give it as much space as it mm -hmm. needs. And I can't tell it to be smaller because I'd prefer to focus on the things that I normally focus on, like any content strategy and, you know, branding colors and whatever the heck else, you know, I got on my to-do list um, for that time. And this is where I feel like this conversation is a little bit unique for you and I, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this episode um, because of being responsible for our own income and maybe not feeling like there is an option um, to take the time and space mm. to fully grieve. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So my first realization of this happened, I would say, late summer of 2020. So I came back to work too early, as I had mentioned. And then quickly kind of burnt out because I was trying to maintain my same workload uh, while like having still very minimal energy and at that time, very minimal memory skills. <laughs> so like delivery also wasn't the best, right? And um, so at that point, I really had to learn how to lean on my pre-existing team 
and ask for help. Uh, I had to learn how to say like, okay, I am responsible for my own income. And if I need to, if I'm going to make any money for myself and like sustain any living at this point in this pre-existing business model, I need to invite and support where necessary for us to continue to thrive as a business. Because if I don't, and I just remove myself and let things crumble to the ground, um, I'm going to be completely helpless. <laughs> so I think that for me, a big part of my healing journey has been delegation in multiple different areas of my life. But in talking specifically about business ownership, learning how to let go of the reins of specific areas of my business that I thought that only I could do and reconfiguring my business model, reconfiguring the way that I show up in my work life. So that way I could tend to what needed to be heard within my heart and within my emotional self at that time. Um, and this has continued to be a practice for me even now through year three. I've gone through multiple iterations of like how I've decided to show up as a business in support of other people and multiple iterations of how I've decided to have team members support me based off of where I have been at mostly in my grief journey because at different periods of time, I need to have different levels of support. And uh, I think that if there are business owners out there or freelancers out there, people that work for themselves out there listening um, who are grieving something right now or going through a difficult period of their life that requires them to have more spaciousness to tend to their own heart, um, I would highly consider you reaching out to someone, anyone to support you in the work that you do, even if you think it's not possible for someone to take over some of the nitty gritty behind the scenes uh, tasks that you do. I've had so many conversations with business owners who have been in all different phases of their life. Motherhood is a big one. You know, as beautiful as motherhood is, it also could be difficult for a lot of people because of the change it brings to your life and the change it brings to your physical body and the energy levels that you may have. And so I've talked to so many different mothers and people saying that they didn't think that they'd be able to outsource A, B, or C until actually being in conversation with us. And we're able to experience um, so much levity in their life post-outsourcing because they took the risk and they took the leap to have the conversation. And so um, I really encourage anyone listening to be brave and asking for what they need and what they want and uh, have faith in what they believe is possible for themselves and their business when it comes to being able to find a rhythm and a balance between your personal life and tending to your grief or loss or whatever you may be dealing with while also still being able to run a sustainable and ethical business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is something that you and I have had very transparent conversations around as well, because for me, I probably wouldn't have a business <laughs> right now <laughs> if I hadn't brought on um, support basically right around the time that um, that my dad died. It really, truly, I'm very, very thankful for for my support because we wouldn't even be recording this podcast right now. I can tell you that um, because having that person there who is using their executive functioning skills when mine may have been limited to 
very lovingly and compassionately, right? And this is the other thing is if you're hiring help, make sure that help feels good and supportive to you. Um, hiring an OBM or a VA or, you know, outsourcing, that's not somebody that's like, hey, like you need to make sure that you're getting this stuff done for me or I can't do my job. Like, yes, there's communication. Yes, there's expectations. Yes, we need to be um, very explicit and transparent about what the transactional deliverables are. However, there are people out there in, you know, Maddie's capacity who are able to do that work and do it very lovingly. Um, I know my OBM, who will literally be listening to this episode <laughs> helping to edit it, um, Aaron Beaver, shout out, love you, um, <laughs> has the very gentle handholder this whole time that's very like, hey, how much energy do you have this week? Do you think you can get this done? Okay, do we need to like, you know, push out the due date for this? But without it, I would have drowned. I would have given up. I absolutely, absolutely like, without a doubt, would not have a business to come back to it is also important to note that I made that decision because I wanted to be able to have a business to come back to and hiring support for me was kind of a break even this past year, to be completely honest. Been there. I'm all, yeah. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> I've also, I am in a position of privilege where I have a partner who has a very steady income, has a salary position, um, is able to pick up some of the slack to support our household. Um, while I'm not having as much of a income generating um, business going on over here. So I do want to highlight that. I know that that's not an option for everyone. I am in a position of privilege to be able to make those decisions so that even though I was basically like working for my support, <laughs> um, so I would have a business to come back to when I was ready, yep. um, I was able to to do that. But I also hired a high level support because I was planning on having a pretty substantial business to come back to. But what Maddie was saying is there's all sorts of levels of support and all of those different levels of support come with all different types of contracts and price tags. Yeah, that's what I was just going to mention too, because I have also been in a position of privilege and being able to afford the support. But for people listening that might say like, I absolutely cannot afford to do so. And you've gone through the numbers because there are people that say that and never like actually they don't have a good relationship with their finances and their business. Right. And so you don't know what's actually coming in. So first go through and actually see like, oh, maybe I do have a few extra hundred dollars, like have someone help. That's the first thing. But if you do that and you're like, I just don't have any extra to spare. There are so many different arrangements that you can have for free. Right. So there might be a huge cheerleader of your business, someone that really supports your work and loves the um, content that you create that would jump at the opportunity to learn from you and support you in an energy exchange. So see if there's any way that maybe you could do like a work trade or like an energy exchange. Maybe someone comes in a couple hours a month to help you with writing captions for Instagram in exchange for, let's say you're a massage therapist in exchange for like a free massage every month. So if you don't have financial resources, you have resources in other ways in which you might be able to receive the support that you deserve and that you need. So sometimes uh, we just have to be a little bit creative in how we structure that. Mm -hmm. I actually really love that you highlight that because one of the other ways that I've also been able to leverage support this year is um, I have a, a really good friend who um, has a 
pretty well-known Instagram account. Um, Marissa is um, over at Little Bit Upbroken, but a lot of people also don't know that Marissa is a pretty amazing powerhouse when it comes to creative consultation, Canva, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and her and I have been able to do a trade. Um, so that's been a way that I've been able to outsource because what takes her like two minutes on Canva or would <laughs> probably take Maddie two minutes on Canva, be there clicking around for like two hours because that is not my <laughs> zone of genius. Um, so that's where like I would reach out to, you know, Maddie or Marissa or something like that and be like, hey, um, like, what do I have, you know, that I can offer you? And I think also, you know, making sure that even if that's not maybe the direct way that you can have an energy exchange, maybe there is actually like you you get a massage twice a month, right? And maybe you're actually able to barter with your massage therapist. So you're getting that. And then the money that you were paying for your massage, you can put towards hiring help for your business. Like, yeah. Get creative. Yeah, I love that too. And something I just want to circle back on that I didn't realize I didn't touch on that you had mentioned is like finding the right support. And mm. I think that's especially key when you are someone that is grieving or moving through an especially difficult period of your life. I would encourage anyone that is seeking out support during that time frame to be explicitly honest and vulnerable with the people that you're interviewing to say, hey, I'm going through this. You don't have to share your whole life story, of course, like, <laughs> but like just letting people know where you're at in your life. So that way that person can decide like if they have the extra energy to bring to the table to be able to like make up in ways that you're not able to show up or they're able to hold the space for you in the way that you need because there are all different types of service providers out there. Some come in and just are like check it off the list type of people, very type A. And some other people have um, like a better skill set to be able to have more emotional conversations and to be able to be your cheerleader when you're going through times in which you might need someone like really supporting you and cheering you on. So everyone has that slightly different skill set. So just make sure that you're being honest and asking if that's something that they're able and willing to like support you in. Mm -hmm. Your journey with grief, your journey with loss, knowing that you won't always be able to show up at 100% like maybe some of their other clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that really takes me to a point that I think is important to make about ethical leadership. Because mm -hmm. when we are hiring, we are responsible for the people that we're hiring. And so that doesn't mean that, you know, you're being transparent with somebody about like, hey, this is, you know, where I'm at in my life. And then you get to like go and trauma dump all over your VA <laughs> because, you know, you're having a rough week and they happen to be the person that like has to check in with you, you know, once a week. Like if you find that you're like, you know, your VA is the person that you're like processing your grief with, like maybe that's the time to go get a therapist. Maybe that's the time to go get a death doula or a coach, right? There's lots yeah. of other different types of support out there. So that consent absolutely does go both ways. And so when you're making sure that somebody is able to hold space for you and they have the capacity, right? We're not basically saying like, hey, you're my VA slash therapist now because you're you signed <laughs> off on this. No, it's just them saying, yes, I have the capacity to be trauma sensitive yeah. to where you're at in life. But that does not then obligate them to hold your hand and walk you through and process your grief. Like that is not ethical leadership whatsoever. Um, and I know that all of us have seen service provider relationships where the person that is um, has hired the service provider 
has very poor boundaries, has very blurred boundaries. They're going through a time. And then because the service provider is contracted to help them, the service provider then maybe takes on more than ethically it is their responsibility to take on because they're trying to get around all the other stuff so that they can do their job. Yeah. Um, And I think that, you know, level of consent and also self-leadership and ownership of what is appropriate in those exchanges is important to highlight as well. Yeah, I love that you highlight that. And to like give a practical example to what this has looked like for my myself and my team. And this will look differently for everyone. But I just want to I think it's helpful to kind of walk through an example is my team knows that I have lost my brother. Right. And so that's just like an underlying like theme in kind of our work as an agency. It's really in our brand messaging. So they know that. Um, and they also know that I never come to the table and say like, blah, 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 blah. This is happening today. And I'm just like, so going through it. I'm like never like crying on a call and just dumping everything on them. But they also know that there will be times in which I cancel a team meeting because I just need some extra space that day. Or they know that I'll take off on like the death anniversary and my brother's birthday each year, right? So they're able to hold space for that. And we don't need to have an extensive emotional conversation about it. I think that's where the self-leadership and ownership comes into place, right? Like I know that I need extra space on these days. I know if I'm feeling to this extreme on this random Monday that I'm not in a good place to show up for my team or my clients and I need to communicate that. My expectation as the business owner, as the leader of the team, isn't since I'm not in a good place, you must now hold it. I must hold it, but I need to create the space and the boundaries for myself to be able to hold it um, with grace rather than like hold it with destruction and just bury it down until it boils over for another day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, really that ties into a lot of doing your own work and being able to emotionally regulate, check in with yourself, actually know how you're feeling. Cause I feel like that's a big thing that a lot of us come up against where like we weren't actually taught how to like check in with ourselves and like really know how we're feeling. And that is absolutely something I have really been learning how to do existing in relationship to such heavy grief and to be willing to be honest with myself about how I'm feeling. Um, it's not like, oh, okay, I'm sad. So what? It's like, okay, I'm, I'm sad. This is present. Like what, what level is this sadness? Is this kind of something that I need to cancel my clients today because I'm going to be preoccupied and I can't really be present? Or is this kind of like little light sadness where I want to make sure that, you know, I tell my partner I need some time by myself at the end of the day to, you know, process or cry or whatever it is that I need to do. I think being able to check in and check in honestly and then take ownership of what you need and then communicate those needs, that really, to me, is ethical leadership. And that's something you feel like you're struggling with. That's where I really would recommend, you know, a coach, a therapist, um, somebody like that who can really help you to process through that. So you are being a good leader to the support that you've hired to help you through whatever it is that you're navigating. Because again, absolutely goes both ways. Something that one of my therapists gave to me at one point when I was like really processing different like parts of my grief was an emotion wheel, I think it's called. 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when she first mentioned it on the call, I'm like, okay, back to preschool we go, I guess. But it's funny. She gave me the wheel and I'm like, holy shit. Like, they should have given us this in preschool because I didn't even know the words to put, like, to all these different emotions, right? So, like, on the inside of the wheel, it's the words that we typically use. It's, like, sad angry, happy, right? But I often find myself using those words to describe how I feel, but it really doesn't like touch what I'm actually feeling. And so as you get farther out on the wheel, it gives you more specific words that like touch on different ranges of that same kind of emotion. And so that wheel kind of exercise has really allowed me to say like, okay, well, anger is not exactly it, but X or Y is. And now that I'm able to name it, I'm actually able to like feel into it, lean into it and release it because I actually was able to identify exactly to a T what was going on inside because angry wasn't really covering the job, <laughs> right? And I spent more time like trying to dive in and figure out what it was. And so uh, I'd recommend looking at an emotion wheel. <laughs> right, and you know what, I- y'all? I am going to link an emotion wheel in the show notes <laughs> so you guys can all see what it is that we're talking about. Because as a therapist, it is a really helpful uh, tool. Um, and I think that, you know, just you can have a visual of what Maddie's talking about and maybe utilize it a little bit for yourself. Um, that is a really, really helpful one. So speaking about help and being helpful, <laughs> you are looking for it trauma-sensitive agency to work with, Maddie does no one. Do you want to tell us about that, Maddie? <laughs> yeah, so uh, my agency is called Her, and we are a virtual assistant and online business management agency, and we would love to support anyone that may be listening that is feeling really called to bring in support that understand or takes the time to understand them and their business. So it, feels truly nourishing at the end of the day um and like your investment is worth it not just like hey i'm putting out content i'm getting an roi with like these sales but also it feels deeply uh nourishing as a human and as an individual so we currently have a few va and opm spots available uh for the rest of q1 going into q2 If anyone is interested in one of those spots and just wants to learn a little bit more about the specific work that we do and the specific tasks that we take off of our founders' plates, um, they can go to our website, which is www.hireher.biz. And Amber, I know you'll put that in the show notes too. Absolutely will. And we have all of our information there. And you can also see all of the lovely women on our team and watch their intro videos so you can know exactly who you'd be working with. Um, If you want to talk specifically with me, um, you can always send me a voice note on Instagram. (laughs) And our Instagram handle is at hireher.biz as well. Or you can fill out our interest form on our website and then I'll send you a link to book a call and we can chat about what type of support would be the best for you. So you could show up the best version of yourself for your business and for your personal life. Mm. Thank you so much, Maddie. And, you know, for anyone who's listening, it is so important to me that the people that I have on this show are people that I know personally are ethical, are, you know, in alignment, are practicing in integrity. Um, so I give wholehearted endorsement for Maddie and her team because really are very, very, very compassionate, um, very productive and very useful service providers. So 
Thank oh, you for offering that for all of us to be able to take advantage of. Of course. Thank you. And last thing I'll mention too, because I know we mentioned finances being a big piece of kind of the puzzle here. We just launched a whole free marketplace on our website with, I think, like free resources, <laughs> five or six different resources, some of which being like templates for content. So if that would be of support to you and you're not in a position to invest in our VA or OBM services, definitely recommend that you take advantage of that. So that way, at least a little bit of your time can be put back into uh, your day and you're not having to put all of it into your content. <laughs> that's amazing i love accessibility and i love that you guys offer that as well thank you so much for this conversation maddie thank you for your honesty your openness your vulnerability all of your practical tips as well (laughs) um and i'm sure that we'll be having you back to talk more about all of these things and i appreciate your time today oh i love you thank you so much for having me it has been so much fun to talk about grief in a way that I feel as though not a lot of people are willing to. So thank you for allowing the space for that and for doing what you're doing with this podcast. I know you're helping so many people. So thank you. There you have it. Another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast on the books. I hope your time spent here served you and nourished you. Join us every Tuesday for more honest conversations and powerful insights. Remember, exceptional leaders share the wealth. Send this episode to someone who would benefit leave a review to let others know about the show and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Talk to you soon.